This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Welcome to the Urban Political. This week's podcast uh, addresses the topic of mobilization and advocacy in context of massive urbanization. It's the first of two planned episodes, and we're very happy、uh, to have a special. A moderator for today's、uh, podcast, Abdul Malik Simon.、Um, before we、um, hand over to him, like to ask our guests and the review today、uh, to briefly introduce themselves.、Uh, hi, hi everyone.、Um, I'm Abdul Malik Simon. I'm a senior professorial fellow at the Urban Institute、uh, at the University of Sheffield, and I want to. Give a special welcome to my my colleagues、uh, that have joined、uh, today. Thank you. Hi, my name is Sylvia Ahmedgakar. I'm a lecturer at Goldsmiths University of London. I work on inequality, insecurity, and governance in global south cities, with a particular focus on Pakistani cities. Hello, everyone. My name is Taibat Lawansin. I'm an associate professor of urban planning at the University of Lagos. In Nigeria, and my work over the years has focused on social complexities, urban realities, and the pursuit of spatial justice in Nigerian cities. Hi, I'm、uh, Nitin Bartla. I'm、um, a final year PhD student at ETH Zurich.、Um, currently on a mobility grant through a mobility grant at the Humboldt University、uh, for a year, writing my PhD on Delhi without borders. Hello, everyone.、Uh, my name is Christian Sagin. I am currently based in the Department of Geography in the University of the Philippines in Metro Manila, and I have、um, I've done and doing work on ur- urban political ecologies、uh, in Manila's peripheries. Okay,、uh, and I'm also here, Marcus Kip、uh, from the Urban Political. I'm also、uh, very happy to be、uh, part in this conversation, although in the background. So、uh, to get us started,、um, I'd like to hand over to Malik.、Um, could you please frame the discussion that awaits us?、Uh, thank you, Marcus.、Um, today you're going to hear from、um, uh, colleagues who constitute、uh, one and half of the participants. In a school on massive urbanization,、um, school in in the tradition of the kind of、uh, critical black thought notion of school, school as a kind of place of collective study, of collective deliberation,、uh, support, care,、uh, consultation,、uh, strategic thinking. And all different kinds of potential conspiracies.、Um, the school is、uh, opened up. It、uh, is a an initiative of the. It's one of the of the schools being、uh, supported by the Urban Institute、uh, at a、um, at the University of of, of Sheffield,、um, and in some sense it.、Uh, 
it attempts to look at the notion of massive urbanization. Massive, not just in terms of big or voluminous, but in the sense of a kind of a Jamaican, the, the sort of Jamaican patois reference to the, to the massive. Um, one which is, um, uh, conveys a kind of inordinate insensitivity to conditions on the ground, a sense of things that are taking place to which uh, those who, who experience and look at them are just not attuned to. Uh, but massive also in the sense of something emerging, a collective being born, um, uh, about to take, to take place. Um, and so we, we, have, uh, we have coalesced as a kind of collective around this issue, uh, been discussing, discussing it. Uh, and today uh, is an opportunity for uh, half of our of our participants uh, in this first part to uh, give some of their their reflections and ideas from their re respective practices and and urban contexts. And and I also want to emphasize that that um, this is a school that focuses. Um, exclusively, I mean, it, it is set up to focus on large urban regions across the, the South, um, massive urban regions, uh, regions that seem to be expanding all of the, all, all, all of the time. Um, and so we are a collective that, uh, whose work is ensconced within those particular contexts. So I would like to begin uh, asking my, my colleagues um, that within this context of, of, of massive urbanizing processes, a kind of um, uh, extensive urbanization that is being driven by a multiplicity of different actors and logics and processes and spatializations and tempora temporalities. Um, that some oftentimes it seems that things, there's so many things that are taking place that it's difficult to, to account for all of the different kinds of directions and realities, even though we're well equipped with many kinds of analytical frameworks and tools. But from your respective urban context, what are the specific kinds of things taking place which you find, find it the most difficult to, to grasp, uh, the most difficult to, to, get your, to get your head around? And if you could talk about that a moment and then talk about what it is that you do see, what it is that seems clear, so both, both sense, what, what is it that sort of remains elusive, too complex, and what is it that you do, do acknowledge, do have a sense of that, that, that's taking place? So perhaps if we could, uh, we, we, we go in a kind of alphabetical order. Uh, thank you, Malik, for, for, the, for the question. Um, perhaps one of the things I've been reflecting about in 
trying to make sense of Manila's uh, Metro Manila's massive urbanization is how to make sense of kind of um, the different uh, stories coming from different communities and different sites within the periphery. I've been um, involved in, in many projects um, in many different sites. And what I've been trying to kind of think about is how to um, kind of come up with a um, coherent narrative in a way to adequately describe what's going on in, in the city and, and, and elsewhere. Um, and in a way, I'm, I'm thinking about how to um, kind of decenter some of the questions and concerns about um, kind of studying Manila and its massive urbanization, which has um, kind of focused a lot on kind of massive issues, massive questions about um, dispossession, um, capital and resource flows, uh, massive movements in kind of both sense of the word of movement. Um, but also I was thinking about um, what if it we could kind of invert how to think about massive urbanization from kind of the in-between spaces and the margins and the uh, um, fleeting um, um, moments uh, that uh, do not lend itself easily to some of the existing toolkits that we have in urban studies and, and elsewhere. Um, and I think this requires a sensitivity and kind of the, the diversity of the processes and overlapping histories and stories in different um, places. Um, and starting from this, you get glimpses of these fragments uh, in this whole scheme of massive urbanization. And I think they present uh, kind of a modest window into the different uh, urban worlds, urban worlds are being created. So for instance, I am, um, have been interested in tracing connections um, within and between cities and how these connections bring different elements together and how they are sustained, how they emerge and with what implications for um, urban life, urban politics. And um, I'm thinking of what happened recently in, in, in parts of Metro Manila. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a really massive um, flash flood that um, inundated and affected uh, thousands of people in um, the eastern part of the city where you have the floodplain. And I think these kinds of events bring back um, um, the idea of how people are connected, how different sites and places are connected. In this case, in the context of the movement of water, movement of, of flows of water and what happens in, um, for example, one part of, of the city has um, implications for those in other parts of the cities. And through this, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how we could look at uh, both connections between places and looking from, the, from this in-between spaces and margins and, uh, and how they are, I think, generative um, in kind of making sense of the massiveness. So we cannot do it in, um, as one person, one scholar could not make sense of all this massiveness and all these processes. But collectively, if we look into um, kind of fragments or components or parts of um, these different um, massive movements. And I think uh, those are our sites um, 
uh, think that are generative and productive in thinking about all these questions. Thank, thank you, thank you, Christian, and 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 thank you for this kind of formulization that reminding us that 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 these urban regions such as Manila are really full of eventfulness um, from from as you're saying mass flooding uh, the, the the kinds of extrajudicial policing of low income areas uh, and that the multiplicity of these eventfulness of this eventfulness does create all kinds of in-betweens as well because these events are not necessarily on the surface easily connected to each other and so the notion of how you look in between those kinds of events as well as the kinds of spaces you're talking about are are really are really quite important um Nitin, what I, what what I, what I, I wanted to 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 follow follow up with what with with what Christian um, was was saying about the 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 way in which to try to engage the the multiplicity of things that are going on uh, and where that multiplicity oftentimes exceeds the available tools of an, of analysis that we that we have um, where where we you know we can make sense of things only so far with with, with what it is that, that we have um, and and sort of asking you well in your experience what are those what are those dimensions that seem to um, exceed being being graspable um, and Christian was identifying a kind of the spaces in between the spaces in between a certain kind of eventfulness of when he was talking about it in in Manila, uh, in between clear notions of of how things take place, um, as a potentially generative space, as as a way in which to try to momentarily suture together to to make lines of of, of connections, by virtue of how we position ourselves within this sort of conundrum of of uncertainty. And so I wanted to ask, you know, particularly because of your work within the sort of hinterlands of Delhi, where it's so clear that there are many different logics in the trajectories of urbanization and the way things are being both settled and unsettled, uh, how you make sense of things that oftentimes don't make sense. Thanks, Malik. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just to continue on what Christian uh, elaborated, and I think um, in, in Delhi, it's even, even um, I don't think it's unique, but it's even more uh, uh, sort of puzzling, uh, the fact that uh, it's not just the rural and urban space or the agrarian and um, sort of built up space that sort of poses uh, challenges in understanding space, um, like you, you can have fields right next to a condominium and right next to it, a tenement town. But it's also sort of um, uh, uh, forms of um, ecological space, uh, of fallows, of transhumans, actors, of non-sedentary and more than human actors that sort of present a unique challenge. Um, it's, it's uh, I mean, um, th th there's still 
uh, Delhi being a sort of megapolis, uh, so to say, in quotation marks, uh, sort of has this, uh, presents this imaginary that, you know, it, it has a hinterland that is um, somehow, okay, agrarian, but largely settled. Uh, but however, if you if you travel to the hinterland of Delhi, it's it's kind of quite unique. Uh, you still have uh, um, a, a very large scale transhumans uh, migration of nomads um, going with uh, lay a really large pack of animals. Uh, you, you still observe that, um, and these uh, these these sort of transhumans actors they follow these sort of nine month cycles around uh, seasonality of water. You still have indigenous uh, communities sort of uh, with um, very different cosmologies of space uh, still inhabiting the territory. You have, um, so, so it's sort of, um, it's, it's, it's uh, I guess as a researcher, you have to be uh, uh, very fluid in terms of how you're engaging with these sort of cosmologies and with these sort of ecological apparatus uh, also through which, uh, People are inhabiting the space, so you you have a lot of mi industrial migrants. You have a, a sort of burgeoning middle class uh, with all these condominiums. You have um, the local agrarian class, but at the same time, you also have transhumans actors. You have um, ecological contestations happening um, in in spaces both within Delhi, on in the hinterland, on the peripheries. So it's it's sort of um, it it, it uh, it's uh, um kind of a very um I, I would say it 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 is not just uh, in in the built quote unquote built space that uh, this sort of in betweens are happening but also rather in terms of ecology and in terms of contestation to these sort of uh, ecological fallows or um uh, yeah brache as as is referred to in german um yeah Thank you, thank you, Nitin. I mean, this is a really important point about the the, the heterogeneity of materialities that that exist. You know, particularly outside of the built form, and the, and the ways in which those materialities uh, act back uh, and act in ways that are uh, not subject to the imposition of our of our of our designs. Um, and then, uh, Sobia, you 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 work in 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 Karachi, which is also a very eventful uh, ur urban context. Uh, could you share your your thoughts on on, on these questions? Yeah, um, thank you, Malik. I think in Karachi, if I were to make sense of what it is that's too complex or difficult to understand or all over the place, I would say maybe it's the city itself. Um, you know, it's just in much in much the same way that you describe in your work, you know, uncertainty um, has become context in Karachi. We've got frequent infrastructural breakdowns, um, you know, rainwater floods um, recur almost every year, similar to what Kristen said um, in his context. And at the same time, um, insecurity routinely interrupts people's lives, um, whether in the case of, you know, terrorist attacks or muggings or, you know, routine political conflict. But in spite of all of these interruptions, um, people continue to go on with their daily lives. Um, Karachi isn't a city that's suffering because of its um, unstable context. And this is sometimes um, something that has constantly surprised me. 
um, you know, with every visit, um, it's almost like the massiveness of the city. It, it gives renewed life and vigor and energy to it. It's quite sort of, you know, difficult to understand for me how this happens, especially as most of these events happen in predictable patterns, um, you know, so Perhaps it's because of that, that everyday life does continue. So, for example, electricity load shedding is most likely in the summer. Gas shortages are common in the winter. Um, phases of urban conflict and violence converge with electoral cycles. Massive floods are obviously most likely to happen in monsoon months. Um, so, you know, people are prompted to take action in, you know, in anticipatory ways to respond to them. But every now and then, the intensity and scale of dysfunction just catches the public and city officials by surprise. Um, so it's kind of grappling with this aspect of the massiveness of Karachi that sort of I find interesting, you know, why is it that this kind of uncertainty sort of which is predictable, but then still comes by surprise? Why is it that it's ungovernable? I mean, is it because the city itself is unruly or the urbanism is unruly or is it because we lack adequate government? Is it because the multitude of people living in Karachi have irrecoverable? Concilable differences, um, you know, whether in the form of interests or politics, or is it perhaps that citizens' divergent aspirations make it difficult for them to think and organize collectively? Um, my opinion is that, you know, it's a little bit of this, um, you know, all of these things together. Um, the city itself is increasingly exhausting. Um, and the emergent politics is actually a reaction to the exhaustion that the constant sort of, you know, being on your toes causes for people living in the city. Um, and it sort of leads to sort of all of these ad hoc incremental responses that sometimes aren't able to come together in very meaningful ways. Um, but yes, I'm looking forward to thinking about this collectively a lot more with all of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Sobia. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in, the, in the multiplicity of of factors underway, there's the, so many things to pay attention to. Um, we may all recognize that, that these factors are at work, but it's oftentimes difficult to work out the proportionality of the more or less, you know, the percentage. Uh, and it's interesting that this, 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 this inability to work out those pro proportions uh, take place in an era where increasingly urban governance is based on calculating proportions, you know, what kinds of factors, what kinds of dynamics are at work in producing particular kinds of spatializations and, and realities. And so this is interesting, interesting dynamic in, in, in that particular relationship. Um, Taibat, uh, in, in Lagos, Lagos is within the popular imagination often seen as one of the world's most ungovernable urban regions, but at the same time, its residents often renowned as the most skilled uh, at making things happen. So a kind of vast in-between in, in, in those different kinds of uh, imaginaries. Um, what is your sense of, of, of what's taking place? Um, thanks, Malik. Um, I'll start by saying that um, there's a really um, strong conflicting rationalities of development in Lagos. First, you know, the, the government has this aspiration of being Africa's model megacity. 
and um, the reality on ground is vastly different. And so we have a city that is perpetually in flux, you know, always having these um, paradoxes and contradictions, intense, you know, wealth living right next to intense poverty, the formal and informal intertwined, but um, against each other. And then, you know, these um, paradox of systems, you know, that clashing all the time and everybody is having some form of discontent with the system. So that's the reality in Lagos. And um, the, the, what uh, the government really shies away from is the recognition of the informal, whereas it is that informal system that everybody uses to survive, even the rich. The city's systems, the city's infrastructure, the transactions, access to resources, access to basic services, access to transport, mobility, what have you, they are all based on the informal system. We have over 60% of the, uh, of the population of, of Lagos working in the informal economy, living in informal settlements, but the government is categorically, you know, disinclined to support this system whose agency is so manifest. So that's a major challenge with Lagos that in the midst of all the chaos, you know, the one thing that works is not given recognition or um, support. And that's why, you know, the, the challenge is endemic and that's why, you know, the city perpetually seems to be fighting itself. Thanks, Taibat, and and thanks for 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 reminding us of the of the disjunctions between the persistence of political rationalities that, in some ways, still are convinced of a certain administrative logic, a certain kind of coherence, a certain kind of notion of of planning, uh, an administration that can somehow lend coherence to these multiplicity of different kinds of processes underway. And all of the kind of brokerage and negotiations and workarounds and circumventions and making do that actually sustain, in some ways sustain that very, those very images of a kind of rationality. Um, and yeah, so this sort of persistent, persistent disjunction between what is supposed to be workable and what actually then does does work. And I guess my my next question would be, well, you know, in in the midst of these disjunctions, in the midst of these paradoxes, uh, in the midst of the, these kind of dynamic in between spaces. Um, each of you has been involved in attempting to do things, either through advocacy or community planning, project development, public policy. Um, you're, you're not just researchers on this, you actually try to do things, you actually try to make things happen, despite the kinds of complexities of, of the context. And could, could perhaps you maybe just talk a moment about well, what you've learned through your attempts to actually do things um, and what this learning itself suggests about how we understand 
contemporary conditions, and and in what ways these kinds of uh, these kinds of experiments in doing things could be perhaps generalized and institutionalized in in some way. And so I'll, I'll return again to you, Christian, to to lead off this the discussion of this question. Yes. Um, well, in kind of thinking about um, the case of Manila, um, perhaps one of the things that I, I, I would say is that there are kind of multiple strategies that people and communities take in securing a place in the city, in the periphery. Sometimes these strategies do not cohere or they conflict with each other. And this too requires, um, I think, multiple plural strategies of engagement, um, which range, uh, as Malik has, has mentioned, from public policy to forms of advocacies and um, support for movements, um, engaging engaging social media um, and kind of more experimental ways of um, presenting and representing um, these movements as well. Um, and I, uh, I think what is also needed is not so much kind of a new understanding of the city, but a sensitivity to um, the different ways that different elements cohere or how new places, new contiguities um, create new sets of relations and uh, forms of socialities. So for example, in the case of Manila, where we have um, kind of a decade uh, long um, um, policy to evict um, people along the waterways in guise of safety and climate change resilience, uh, and then bring them to um, resettlement sites in the periphery that has created uh, new forms of uh, relations that are um, or new geographies that are unruly, incomplete, and um, kind of difficult to understand at first. Um, and, and therefore, this, this also requires um, kind of sensitivity to how um, to perhaps map or understand or, or grasp these new spaces. Um, it, can also entail um, perhaps uh, the challenge of changing political configurations and how in the case of Manila, um, the challenges of a different political climate requires a different um, set of understanding the city um, rooted in the past, but then also recognizing that um, what has happened in the past is uh, is different from what is currently happening now. So in the context of Manila, this takes the form of kind of a more hostile and violent um, movements against forms of urban dissent, uh, which makes it more difficult for traditional and longstanding movements to kind of form um, mobilizations um, at, at the moment. And um, then this requires, I think, a rethinking of uh, the strategies that um, many groups have, have used over the past few decades, which had been in part probably successful, but now is not um, as successful. Um, so I think all these things um, would um, kind of need a, a sense of um, being sensitive to all these multiplicities um, on the ground and the, how they change uh, through time. And it will entail um, 
looking at multiple avenues of action as well. Thank, thank you, Christian, and, and thanks for reminding us of the one of the of the ways in, in in which certain kinds of actions are taken, particularly by govern governments, uh, in the name of uh, protecting the health and well-being of particular populations. I mean, the ways in which evictions uh, oftentimes now take place in the interest of uh, of of environmental protection, um, and so the way in which sometimes very pernicious actions continue to take place under the auspices of, 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 of beneficial reasons uh, often then forecloses particular kinds of actions and activism that we've relied upon in, in, in the past and, and the need to re rethink those. Um, Nitin, um, could you please come in? I think particularly in my work, I've been trying to understand uh, this sort of uh, Delhi without borders in a way. Like, um, I mean, the city, the, the massive urbanization, if you will, uh, it's sort of somehow unbounded in a very um, fluid way. Like uh, if you um, if you're in the region of Delhi, you can go for hundreds of kilometers without city ever ending. And at the same time, you have really, really important work like Gautam Bhan's work on planned illegalities, uh, sort of translating into some sort of practice as well. Like, um, I mean, uh, the whole IHS uh, and um, the work initiated by them in the city of Delhi on sort of um, evictions and, and, and a new form of practice um, that has emerged is, is very meaningful to engage in the city itself. But um, what I, I, I am experiencing in, the, in my work is that the city is not bound by this sort of borders anymore. The, uh, the sort of city of Delhi itself, it exists as an entity of massive urbanization. So how do you sort of practice in this massive urbanization? So I, I, I guess I, I won't have any conclusionary answers, but uh, I started to engage with uh, some practitioners um, uh, so I, I, start, I attempted at doing some socially engaged art with, with an artist um, in uh, one of these sort of planned illegalities or gray zones or tenement towns just outside Delhi. And I also worked on a film collaboratively, uh, collaboratively with, with a friend of mine. Um, and, and these sort of creative methodologies, they, they allow you to explore something that is... Um, that, that cannot be captured uh, textually. Uh, it, it is very generative, these, these creative methodologies. So just to give you an example, in the socially engaged art, the artist I was collaborating with, she uses um, uh, the Dariv methodology from um, sort of, uh, um, she, she sort of does these sort of critical walks with uh, people without sort of assuming uh, uh, something about this space. So this sort of uh, allowed us to find so many possibilities of subversion of, of, uh, of sort of uh, how people inhabit these territories as liminal beings. So um, uh, just to give an example, um, uh, we were working with garment manufacturing workers in one of these tenement towns. And we realized that um, uh, 40, 30 to 40% of the garment, um, when, we, uh, when, when shirts are made or when jeans are made or any type of garment is made, uh, goes directly to landfill. 
and uh, the women um, in these tenement towns if they don't find work which because it's sort of so precarious everyday life is so precarious um they they go and they they imbue this sort of uh, ecology of waste with uh, um, a sort of labor of care so it's sort of a form of reproduction that that is uh, able to produce um, really meaningful things out of this uh, so called waste um so they are able to make rugs they are able to make bags and um if you enter one of these sort of uh, rooms in a tenement uh, tenement building it's full of uh, just beautiful pieces of art and it, the everyday life is um, quite imbued with this sort of labor of care and i think this is this is what what is missing perhaps when um we sort of project uh, uh, extra planetary gaze uh, so to say on the territories of massive urbanization so there's perhaps um uh, um a need for sort of embedding ourselves uh, a little bit more and understanding these sort of uh, pol- embodied politics every day of everyday life uh, that sort of happen b- below the thresholds of visibility Well, uh, thank you, thank you, Nitin. Um, I I I agree. I mean, the the effective intensities of, of particular registers of urban inhabitation are are such an important uh, field to try to creatively and judiciously engage with. We oftentimes we think we know about the the affect of of suffering and. anxiety and and even of joy but i don't think we know very much about the the affect of what might be called a kind of generative sense of being unsettled uh and the kinds of practices of care and improvisation and trying to make new kinds of ways of existing within those kinds of affective registers so thank you for 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 pointing this out Um uh, Sobia you want to come in please Yeah it's interesting to think about how um you know this collective um ways of solving problems um might be a solution to thinking about um you know the ways in which massive urbanisms are lived or experienced um or you know the massiveness of it is encountered Um so in my previous work I did sort of think about how karachiites from all walks of life whether affluent or poor um were governing ongoing insecurity by living in communally organized and privately securitized enclave spaces i mean apparently they could be considered as collective spaces of of care because they were self organized um you know invested pri- in you know through private funds in response to um ongoing uncertainty of um or of insecurity which the government wasn't doing anything uh, about um these enclaves could be formally produced as walled or gated communities but they could also be unwalled or informal settlements which um you know which just kind of um had an had produced some imagined geographies in other people's minds about them being inaccessible or unapproachable and um you know they were securitized by a police production of socially social politically homogenous space so i mean in effect they were they weren't in on closer look spaces of care at all they were quite forcibly organized everyone had to conform to a particular sort of um you know set of rules and regulations whether or not they agreed to it um 
but you know they were highly effective and by way of their organization you know these spaces were able to produce um some kind of order in a city that was otherwise uncertain but at the same time they also discursively reproduced urban difference more broadly for the rest of the city because they generated binaries of us and them you know the you know us inside um sort of as a political block versus those outside who represent sort of everything that's wrong with the city really um they also were organized by generating some kind of exclusive relationship between municipal officers and enclave governors so in effect um you know these kinds of exclusive relationships called for competition between enclaves in accessing sort of limited public resources um and at the same time these you know specialized enclaves they were psych- you know they had psychosocial effects as well you know feelings of difference were exacerbated amongst urban communities particularly along class and ethnic lines um this sense of you know anger angst of how one community gets more than the other like this kind of competition um but i think you know what's interesting sort of now um or, or what i have started to observe now like it started to change my thinking a little bit I also would like to think that these kinds of structures of care um can work positively as well in the way that Nitin was talking about um this has become more apparent more recently with the emerging um you know politics or response to the pandemic as well as to the recent um floods that took place in Karachi over the summer it's quite obvious now that the working class militant political political worker or the afghan or pashtun migrant worker isn't the problem you know they they are not the enemy um uncertainty and violence can also be caused by sort of you know um forces that are beyond the person or beyond a particular ethnic or political group um and the current system you know by way of managing these kinds of um insecurities through stopgap measures and quick fixes like hiring security guards or putting up walls or paying off some munis- municipal officials you know it's not a solution for deeper rooted urban problems and i feel like these these events more recent events have kind of shaken people a little bit more and kind of brought the city together um people have become tired of privately investing in the city's development of not holding the government responsible and what i find especially interesting is that the middle class has had enough they're finally protesting for what the working class has been protesting for decades which is you know calling for effective and efficient public provision of municipal services um they're appropriating forms of manner of protest which have previously been thought of as vulgar and disruptive you know the same forms that you know the working class have um worked with so it's really exciting for me to observe emerging possibilities of cross class and cross cultural solidarities and this overwhelming feeling of having had enough which has allowed collective interests to finally converge it's generating what i think the formation of a new public one that can convene over physical as well as digital space um i do believe that a lot of work needs to be done to repair existing mistrusts and divides which are very deep rooted but perhaps there's also reason to be optimistic that the existing sort of political or spatial divides can perhaps be countered Thank thank you thank you Sobi for uh, these heartening <laughs> heartening potentially heartening prospects um but also reminding us that uh, i mean we we all are concerned with the 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 endurance of of collect collective life and i think your your comments on 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 enclaving oftentimes i mean enclaving point out the ways in which the place-based notions of collective life um increasingly 
rely upon uh, more, more a sense of homogeneity, a kind of more insular world, uh, a more restrictive kind of, of engagement with the, with, with, with the larger city in order to be sustained. And, and it prompts a, a, a need to rethink more the notion of collective life in, in motion and, and, and in circulation and away from sort of our, our territorially based notions of, of neighborhood and, and, and community. Um, and particularly the, when you point out the, the sort of the exhaustion of, of the middle class, I mean, the way in which the middle class attainment was often based on itself a kind of restriction, a, a, a focus on respectability uh, around acquiring particular kinds of disciplines and vernaculars that uh, shape behavior in ways that were themselves restrictive of a kind of capacity to engage other spaces of other people. And, and so in some sense, the exhaustion of the middle class might be then a way in which to rethink uh, a different set of vernaculars and performances and behaviors that perhaps uh, may be more extensive in their, in their, in their own way. Uh, Taibat, uh, can you share some of your experience with your long uh, career of activism and project development in, in Lagos? Right, uh, Malik, thank you. It's raining here, so I'm not sure how well the, um, the connection is, but I'll just go ahead. Um, so, you know, my work, I've learned a few things. The first is that people have agency and they will reinvent the city to suit their purposes regardless of what government says. And um, that has been brought, you know, very clearly to light with, um, you know, for example, with the slum communities doing waste field to create land. And that is illegal, whereas the um, we have a Ministry of Waterfront Infrastructure that grants dredging licenses to the wealthy to actually dredge the, the lagoon to create islands of exclusion for the very wealthy. So we have that going on side by side where lack of access to land, particularly for the lower income, they have to go ahead and create their own land. You have the ambulance of the street traders who are perpetually reinventing how they engage on the street from having the table with the umbrella to now having the vests, you know, to sell their recharge cards to having the homeless who identify the, um, the task force trucks and are able to communicate miles ahead for others to get off the street and reconvene thereafter. So you have, you know, people, regardless of what government says or what, how government's vision of the city, you know, is they keep reinventing the city to suit their purposes. And also with um, the closing of our civic spaces over the last um, decade or so, the public space has now extended onto the virtual. And so you have a very active um, activist um, population online, particularly on Twitter. 
and um, the the NSAS um, protest, for example, the, the organization and the mobilization and the organization over the 12 or so days that those protests lasted before the government intervened with violence, it was all on Twitter and it was a largely informal, you know, collaboration among young people from a, or young Nigerians from across the world. And they were able to organize and stand, you know, against government to to protest against police brutality, bad governance, and what have you. And that, you know, the, the government's only response to that was to, is to try to... Um, Taibat, in, in the rain, uh, if you uh, want to uh, take off from where we, we left, please. Okay. All right, thank you. Um, so I was saying that and there, there's also a need to collaborate with um, local communities, um, practice a form of urbanization at scale, uh, I will call it. Um, so I was involved with the Lagos Resilience Strategy, which is a top-down, um, which was a top-down process to um, kind of document the government's um, visioning or opinion of what resilience is and how the city can be more resilient. And then more recently during the COVID lockdown, I was involved in a community resilience action plan, which was a totally different um, um, process that was more grounded, starting from the community themselves. They were able to articulate their priorities. And more importantly, they were able to say how they wanted you know, these priorities to be addressed and also how they were going to contribute to making the priorities, you know, you know, sustainable. And I found that really refreshing that because oftentimes we, we cast this toga of um, illegality or um, shirking from responsibility on the poor. Whereas in the, the case where they are part of the planning or the city building process, they are willing to have a stake in it and you know, actually contribute to making things um, happen. And the third thing I learned is that um, if the city is going to work, then we must recognize the non-formal institutions. First, we have the gatekeepers and the purveyors of violence, like um, in, the, in the context of Lagos, the, the, road, the road transport um, unions, but also those who wield um, community, who have community influence and wield trust like the traditional institutions and the market um, unions. We discovered during this last protest that um, when the um, protest turned violent and um, some of the hoodlums took over and started to vandalize properties and all of that, it was the traditional authorities, the community development groups who stood to protect their communities. As at that time, we did not, you know, to all, um, to all um, intents and purposes, we didn't have the police on the streets. The government had lost control, but communities were able to stand to protect, you know, their areas from being vandalized or from the outsiders coming in with violence. And so I think um, it's important that we recognize these um, grounded level types of um, urban development and urban reconfiguration and recognize that they are key 
to ensuring that the city you know continues to grow because the city is an amalgam of these small communities and if the the agency the strength of these communities are not um kind of um, enhanced you know we will keep going around in circles where we have these big grandiose ideas that at the end of the day never sees the light of day oh thank you thank you taibat for for these for these reflections um there there were several things that that you said that really really stand out uh one one was the notion of of reinvention um i mean we oftentimes think of certain kinds of informal activities as simply compensation uh of ones of need to support absolute need uh and and of course they 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 may be these things but when when you emphasize reinvention it's it's this ongoing capacity to do something differently and these reinventions have have particular effects and these effects of oftentimes are not always an, anticipated and so they do open up uh new directions no matter how uh, with what limited resource uh they 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 may have uh then you said to me really interesting about the in terms of the of the campaign to uh stop the 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 sort of special forces policing that has been um in in the news uh during during the last month and you said you referred to Nigerians all around the world and that reminds us of the ways in in which particular cities are are platforms for their own globality so one can imagine legations in Johannesburg and Hong Kong and Delhi and East London and Dallas and Sao Paulo all through social media doing their own contributions to the to the to the anti-sars campaign and then and then finally when you when you talk about the need for non-formal institutions that regardless of their the, their formality or not that they remain institutions that they have their own authorities that they engender a particular kind of trust uh and deploy particular kinds of efficacies in their in their actions and and sometimes we forget that there are a kind of multiplicity of institute that they are institutions uh and the, and the need to engage them as such as part of the process of 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 city building uh perhaps maybe a a a a final final question for for you to consider is that i mean given given all that we've talked about in terms of the of the kind of analytical challenges in terms of grasping the kinds of complexities of of urban transformation underway um and the what you've learned through your own work uh what what might you see as the kind of most viable urban manifestations of urban politics uh that can deal with issues of spatial injustice economic precarity and and social mar- mar- marginalization so if you were to envision the sort of key elements of a kind of urban politics that might be able to begin to effectively address these kinds of issues what what might what might you you, you conclude uh, around this so we we'll return maybe to to christian for for your set of reflections 
Yes, uh, thanks, Malik. Um, so I'm, again, I'm trying to think of kind of the, the multiplicity of uh, where such political experimentations could happen and um, could be in forms of um, massive mobilizations and movements, but uh, also in the context of situating it in the everyday uh, as a site of uh, kind of political experiment. And I think for me, the way I understand the everyday is um, a way of opening up possibilities. Um, so I think I'm thinking of a couple of examples from, from, from my and other colleagues' work in Manila. Uh, so one would be the example of urban farming. Um, so it's a kind of an example of a very in-between space that in a way subverts vision of Manila and what kind of a city should be. And uh, it's a site of conflict, exclusion, and perhaps even state subject, subjectification. But in, in my experience with talking to farmers, urban farmers, it, I see it also as a site of possibilities and opportunities to um, ensure livelihood, uh, make room for maneuver, given the constraints of kind of this dense, uh, very non-green city. Um, so farmers are not only invested in ensuring that their plants survive or that they harvest well, but are also uh, all conscious about their place in the community, in the city uh, that they are a part of. And this is not to overstate um, kind of the political importance of growing own food and how it is able to overcome broader questions of uh, political economy and justice. Um, and in the context in Manila, it remains marginal in terms of food security and uh, the income benefits that it gives people. But uh, in a way, I think it presents kind of this um, site or avenue inhabiting the city by working with the urban environment. It becomes a point of engagement with what it means to be in the city um, or be a resident a citizen of a city. And it also provides space to deal in many ways with the state. And the other example uh, I could think of uh, in the context of every day is how um, we uh, could perhaps look at alternative uh, mapping of spatialities of these spaces. In some of my colleagues' work, uh, we have conducted uh, forms of counter mapping. Um, and this is uh, has uh, kind of an expanded meaning. It's not just uh, producing maps, kind of an alternative to the maps of the state and um, development plans, uh, but also kind of thinking of the spatialities of the everyday and everyday practices um, beyond the map, um, also exploring um, multiple forms of performances and art and uh, other ways of representing um, um, space and how people inhabit these every day. Um, and I think these are two modest examples of how we can situate uh, the political in the context of um, the massiveness of all that is going on in, in Manila, in, in my case. Uh, thank, thank you, Christian. Yeah, I, as, as, as a fan of, uh, of, of, of movies about, uh, about, uh, about urban Manila, uh, I can't remember ever seeing a film about Manila where you, um, uh, where you have ur urban farming taking place. So, 
sometimes to work through that which is most uh, unexpected or unfamiliar um, is a is a particular particularly generative way to go, and also the the importance of of thinking through new forms of mapping uh, of spaces. Uh, sometimes we're, we're, we're oftentimes are too set within the kinds of administrative boundaries of what is a particular district or zone, and and they don't really correspond with the sort of the, the territories of operation for residents. The the actual spaces uh, and networks that they trans, tra, transverse every day to be able to put together forms of a viable livelihood. So different tools and ways of, of mapping the way in which actual territories of inhabitation are, are made uh, is particularly Im important. Uh, Nitin, do you want to come in? Uh, thanks, thanks, Malika. I think I would really um, sort of agree with Christian's analysis. Um, I think I have a very similar observation on a sort of a, a massive uh, but uh, unspectacular uh, environmental politics shaping up in um, this sort of Delhi without borders or uh, this massive urban region. Um, where you have, um, uh, just to give an example, um, um, there is a very large uh, move to um, sort of redesign and uh, enclose the, the largest public sp space in Delhi, which happens to be at the center on this axis, um, uh, old imperial axis of uh, the sort of lot, what is called the Latins Delhi, uh, the col uh, colonial part of Delhi. Um, the, the sort of resistance against this project is largely environmental. Um, all uh, sort of forms of resistance to save the space that uh, argued for aesthetics or uh, particular forms of dwelling failed. But the large, uh, the large part of resistance that sort of uh, was able to successfully subvert this plan was uh, largely environmental. So you had... Uh, uh, really young people um, uh, coming and uh, mapping out the trees that exist there, the different type of species and how these species interact with sort of the human environment and how this is key to um, sort of this questions of habitability as well. Um, I mean, uh, there, there is a politics of um, habitability that sort of intersects with the politics of in, uh, with environmental politics in Delhi, um, you have uh, sort of uh, quartzite mines on on the periphery, where you have this sort of um, middle class um, collectives, which are trying to uh, re-energize uh, these sort of old uh, mining pits into forests uh, through planting uh, with with a, with careful detail. Uh, indigenous trees that are local to that those environments, but you you also have um, deep in the hinterland you you uh, have uh, also another type of environmental politics that's shaping up around similar issues of protecting certain forms of indigenous trees uh, because um, um, uh, from from sort of projects of um, large scale infrastructure like the Delhi Mumbai Expressway, which is uh, 
150 meter wide expressway, which is sort of passing through a lot of these uh, sacred forests and uh, um, uh, uh, agricultural commons uh, in the in the hinterland, where you have a similar kind of politics shaping up around uh, sort of uh, subverting uh, this development based on uh, counting the number to, number of trees and biodiversity you have and sort of protecting it. So I, I, I think uh, similar to Christian, the, 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 there's some sort of uh, massive environmental politics that's shaping up in Delhi. Yeah, and 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 in and in ways that are that that are is is not simply about you know in, in environmental protection or sustainability within the kind of conventional sense, but in a way in which there are all of these different initiatives to enfold and engage uh, different kinds of uh, ecological formations as part and parcel of. Uh, ways of exploring new forms of of, of livelihood uh, and inhabitation. Uh, yes, Malik, I just wanted to add there, it's also, um, there's also re resurgence of sacredness towards uh, these, this sort of biodiversity. So there's definitely some sort of uh, new ecological formations as well as you rightly pointed. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the of the work of our of our colleague Sally Benjamin in uh, in Chennai, who talks about the 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 insistence upon the sacred in terms of everyday land politics and uh, enduring occupations on the part of of particularly the poor. Um, so the notion of the sacred uh, continues to be. Um, uh, I mean, repurposed in a lot of different ways, not, not always generative ones, as you well know, but um, yeah, that's an important uh, to, to point out. Uh, Sobia? So I've been thinking of this question um, in, a, in a different way. Like, I mean, I definitely agree with um, Nitin's and Christian's and Taibet's um, sort of engagement with it. But I would like to draw attention not just to the issues and forms of political exper experiments, but also to the sites within which political experiments take place or are situated. So in particular, um, I've, I've been looking at the production of alternative platforms um, of public engagement um, in the way of social media and how it's becoming so popular um, as a way of generating sort of debate, um, organizing protests, um, or just sort of expressing a public mood in a country which is increasingly, increasingly stifling uh, freedom of protest and expression. Um, so, you know, I, I found that these forms of democratic exchange are, you know, limited by cultural, social, or political norms at present. Um, so social media for me has, a, has been an interesting sort of site of political experimentation. Um, so it's not just a medium of communication, I think, but you know the kinds of communication or the forms that it makes possible. So things like poetry, images, memes, um, these are developed and uh, being developed, they bring together a particular kind of sort of subject uh, position by people who produce them. Um, you know, the kind of hopes and fantasies that the sharing or making something viral creates for them. The circulation of these through platforms like YouTube, Facebook, WhatsApp, 
um, I mean, in, in in creating this content and sharing it and sort of in, in it being circulated, it kind of builds a structural feeling that extends across and perhaps maybe sometimes even problematizes existing racial, gender, class or cultural norms or divides. Um, so I do think that these platforms, you know, are increasingly being democratized um, because of mass availability of mobile phones and free access to some of these apps. So, you know, in, and in doing so, a new public space of interaction and negotiation has started to emerge. And this is very exciting for me to observe, especially as I've been sitting in a distance and been mourning, <laughs> grieving, um, sort of not being able to sort of go to Karachi physically sort of because of the pandemic and also because of, you know, restrictions on travel and everything. Um, but I've also been, I mean, in, in, in making these observations and following all of these um, issues about sort of, you know, some sites being shut down by government and then debates around how, like TikTok, for example, the government uh, put it down because apparently it led to, um, according to the government, um, the, the production of lewd material or immor immoral material. Um, and this was basically a way of policing women's bodies because a lot of female stars had come up um, sort of making content and sharing them on and 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 some of these sort of you know ordinary um content producers i mean some of them are farmers some of them are women like belong to low income groups but also creating um or, or having a massive following of political clout um and sometimes the discussions they had you know, verged on the political, and this was deemed then dangerous by the state who wanted to shut these voices down. And this led to um, sort of a counter argument by the Twitterati, who is a lot more internationally sort of recognized, which um, which basically um, sort of, sh you know, argued for the fact that, you know, there's a lot more lewd material on Twitter, and there's a lot more access to immoral sort of um, um, content on YouTube or Twitter, and why aren't these forums being shut down? Maybe there's something about power uh, over here where the government feels like TikTok is a medium that's used and produced uh, and shared amongst people of a certain socioeconomic class, um, which, you know, which Twitter and Facebook and um, YouTube isn't in as many ways. So, you know, why, why isn't the government shutting these kind of mediums down? So, I mean, I just found these kinds of conversations uh, on social, like, or the politics of what kinds of mediums are allowed and what aren't allowed, very interesting. Eventually, TikTok, um, so, you know, has been reallowed or has been resumed. But also in sort of observing how these mediums have been used for urban protests or for mo mobilizing um, sort of a coordinated action in response to, so for example, the floods, uh, you know, following poetry that has been produced that sort of awakens a kind of feeling amongst Karachiites on the nostalgia of what they've lost um, by way of um, their loss of politics. Um, and, you know, um, also the comments which a lot of these um, uh, videos might um, sort of encounter, like sort of generate, you could say, or even posts on organizing um, protests, you know, we are going to meet at a particular public space at this many hours, and then, you know, images of women holding up placards. I mean, what these kinds of images do to produce uh, a particular idea of who it is that's in inhabiting space and, you know, which voices um, sort of are being, um, you know, are being... Um, um, projected but also who all is invited um you know this kind of uh you know the, for me it's been interesting to observe really and i do think that you know the opening up of digital space as a way of conversation is also a great way of bridging these, the kind of divides that i was speaking of across class across culture across politics as well um especially for pakistani society where there is something that we called you know, jijik, which is an Urdu word, which roughly translates to apprehensive hesitation 
or something like cultural formality, you know, some kind of, you know, rules about who you can speak to and who you can't speak to. So um, I feel like social media allows interaction between strangers and the public. Um, it allows interaction across class, across gender, in a way that um, sort of physical space doesn't. So these these forms of contacts, you know, or, or these kinds of platforms rather, and and what they do in 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 their sharing or in the circulating when they're just being present in digital space, create a kind of politics, like a, a momentum for a kind of politics that can then perhaps be you know experienced or lived or even sort of you know reacted in public space and physical public space. So I think that's a an interesting sort of you know point of um political experiment like you know a form of political exper experiment to consider thank thanks sobi um you know as as christian and, and nitin were talking about the uh, environmental ecologies uh this is an important point about the notion of media ecologies uh and the ways in which uh these ecologies give rise to practices that engender particular structures of feeling and, and become opportunities to rehearse uh, different ways of being together. And, and of course, those rehearsals, as rehearsals, are going to be messy and problematic and oftentimes fraught with tensions. They do offer a, a kind of platform of, of, exper of experimentation um, in the ways in which you have so well articulated um, and then finally, uh, Taibat, I mean, uh, some of you, you would also had mentioned the, the importance of, of, of social media as a kind of political instrument in, in Lagos. Um, but what, that and what else would you, would you see as a kind of emerging viable politics in, in, in your context? Thank you. Well, the two things that readily come to mind is um, one, collaboration of the middle class, much of which takes place on um, social media. And then we have the bourgeois class trying to um, do, you know, stretch a hand. And so they are able to somewhat articulate some of the agitations of those who are lower down the ladder through art, through music and through um, things like walkabouts, you know, community engagement, charitable work, and all of that. Um, while it, it, it helps to cast a lens on the issues, sometimes we query how impactful it is on, you know, the, the, the local communities outside of the um, public um, adulation that these middle class allies in quote you know you know benefit so that's on the one hand the other thing is the collaboration with the faith-based organizations i think in the last um five or six years when um, communities local communities started to mobilize their alliance with faith faith-based organizations many of whom you know, work with these communities to provide support services, particularly where government is lacking, have um, helped to give some kind of credence to the agitations. So you have faith-based organizations, even during the NSAs, 
you know, coming out and speaking out about the validity of the issues that had been raised and the fact that, um, you know, something really needs to change. So they, they tend to give um, an air of respectability and um, kind of um, convict government to come to the table. We've seen that with um, issues around the Federation of the Urban Poor and issues around evictions that some of the churches had taken on board. The the incidence of evictions around those areas had been stemmed because, you know, the churches came out and spoke against the, um, you know, the, the, the practices and were actively supporting those communities, sometimes in defying government, sometimes in resettling. And then um, with the middle class, while some of them have been able to open up their platforms to have these um, conversations, the the good it has done is to bring the conversations to the fore. So many in the city who had um, taken up the issue of, oh, people people shouldn't leave like that as an excuse for, um, you know, as a defense or as a, justification for why these evictions should go on have now come to realize that it's people who live in those communities and while people shouldn't live like that they also shouldn't be rendered homeless and you know um, bereft of their dignity and their sense of place so the conversation is slowly turning around because of these allies it's coming to the fore so we're having this conversation for how impactful it will be long Middle class have short attention span, you know, sometimes other issues come up, but um, how impactful, how long term, particularly with the political actors who often don't see their interventions beyond one um, cycle. So um, I stop there for now. Um, thanks, Taibat. And, 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 and what you raise is a really impo- important point about the kinds of strategic intricacies of, of maintaining a kind of functional, viable uh, sense of p- political struggle of, uh, I mean, of, of, of how one sort of has the patience to, to maintain relationships with particular kinds of class formations and institutions that oftentimes are difficult to maintain over the long run, but, but eventually oftentimes provo- prove to be critical allies in terms of attaining at least small, small victories. So this question of how long do you stick with it, you know, and under what circumstances and, and who calls the shots in terms of maintaining these alliances, these are all really important and critical questions to pay attention to in in an urban politics which which ultimately has very kinds of complex strategic uh, considerations so thank you for this um i think that be that uh, perhaps before we 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 close that uh, i i might uh, step back a moment and uh, if if uh, if any of you want to make some final comments or to ask any each other some some questions that we might 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 do that do that now. So if anyone has anything you want to ask of each other, any kind of final comments to be made, uh, let's do that now.
I just wanted to say that uh, it's been a very interesting um, discussion and uh, um, place of learning, actually, um, not just uh, the podcast today, but uh, uh, the whole uh, massive urbanization school that you've put together, uh, Malik. So um, I've learned a lot uh, from from these uh, different uh, contexts and the polit- uh, politics shaping within them. Yeah, thanks, Nitin. I mean, this is, I think this is what we we, we, we had in, in, in mind, you know, a kind of ongoing collective effort where we all learn from each other, try to support and care for each other and, and to, in our own work, exemplify uh, the kinds of political experiments and imaginations that we, that we all have. And I, I really have come to value these kinds of interchanges so, so much. And I'm so grateful for, for all, of your, uh, all of your willingness uh, and, your, and your work. I would like to say thank you as well to all of you. Honestly, this has been a very, very productive space of thinking and learning and and rationalizing and making sense of what otherwise um, seems to be um, quite sort of, you know, a different, difficult to grasp um, subject. I mean, looking at the urban context that we're looking at with so many multiplicities of um, sort of, you know, kinds of politics, of forms of living, of um, structures of spaces, of um, possibilities, and sort of how to grasp it. So it's been, it's been very exciting to to know that um, there there's so many strong parallels across some of the contexts that we're looking at. So thank you all very much. Yes, and I would also echo so uh, Sylvia and Nitin's points. Um, I think what I found. Uh, very exciting in a way is how uh, we are kind of able to experiment in a way uh, coming up with collectively with uh, vocabularies or perhaps other ways of understanding um, what is going on with our cities uh, but also beyond kind of in a comparative and also beyond comparative uh, mode so I think that's what I appreciate a lot. Okay, and uh, I'll end by saying thank you very much. I've seen a lot of similarities, Lagos and Karachi especially, and then to some extent with Delhi and um, Metro Manila. And um, it's actually been a learning um, process as well for me. And then, you know, it allows us to really interrogate how we're looking at the city and um, are there other methods? Are there other ethnographies? Are there other um, methodologies or lenses through which we will look at these everyday um, seeming, you know, everyday processes that may have deeper meanings for development? Absolutely. Completely agree, Tabit. Okay, thanks, everyone. And, and, and with that, uh, I'll turn it over to you, Marcus. Thank you for sharing your time and these uh, absolutely intriguing insights. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website, urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.